today. And my topic for today is called How to Handle Discouragement. And as I was preparing, I got to think about how I handle discouragement. And, um, you know, in my most healthy moments, sometimes I pray. Uh, that's a good thing. And in my more unhealthy moments, it usually involves a large order of Taco Bell uh, and scrolling through my phone because maybe just a few more posts on TikTok, TikTok will bring me out of whatever. TikTok, yeah, can we go TikTok? Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm hip with the kids. I, I use TikTok. Uh, maybe just endless scrolling on my phone and a couple of Doritos Locos tacos. That's the thing that's going to get me out of my discouragement. And, uh, the sad reality is, is, you know, that of course that doesn't work in this life. We're going to face discouragement. I've faced discouragement. You face discouragement in this life. We will face hurts. Unexpected things will come into our lives that were not supposed to be there. Or so we thought, and if we're a little older, all the salt and pepper, Salt and pepper Christians in the audience today know that uh, life doesn't always work out the way we had hoped it would work out. And even today, as I sit in front or as I stand in front of you, as you sit and listen to me, there are some of you who are facing discouragement. There are some of you who are facing hurt. Some of you are asking, why God? Why me? And as I thought about this, I thought about with the wide array of people that we have here, Different people handle discouragement differently. Maybe you've taken a test like a DISC profile or a strength-based leadership or this one with an E called the Enneagram. Uh, Different people tend to handle uh, difficult situations, discouragement in different ways. And so I found that different people handle different ways. For instance, I have a picture here of a protester. This is a protest pic. Perhaps this is you when you face discouragement you immediately get aggressive and you rage against the machine. Whatever anyone is telling you, you go, no, not today. I'm not doing that. And you yell or you fight or whatever it is, whatever it is, internally, you feel, maybe you don't walk around with a sign like this person does, but maybe internally, this is how you feel. You're holding up a sign saying, no, 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 no. You stop everything. Everything stops. You protest. You protest. Maybe that's how you handle discouragement. Some of you are more like a sloth. Does anyone know what a sloth is? Sloth. You're the, like, you basically you ball up into a little ball and you get paralyzed either by fear or sadness. And you're like, oh, I can't do it. And you find yourself laying in bed for 10 hours and you're just very sad. You're, you're paralyzed by action, uh, by the discouragement that you face and you don't do anything at all. Maybe you're more like Tony Robbins. Does anyone know who Tony Robbins is? He's a motivational speaker. If he was here, he'd probably do better than I did speaking to you today, but he's not. (laughs) So Tony Robbins is one of these guys. He says, hey, 10% of life is what happens to me. 90% of life is how I react to it. And so some people, when they face discouragement, they face it. They try to overcome it with an overfunctioning productivity. Maybe this is you. How many of you are like this if, by a show of hands? Are you, would you be willing to share? Zero. Okay, one, got two. Cool. Then my wife, my wife and the person sitting next to her are the only ones that are productive when they get, when they get discouraged. You are like, I'm not going to allow this setback to affect me. I'm going to get real productive. And you do lots of different stuff. Or maybe you are like Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Some people are like Taylor Swift. You go deep into your feelings, 
You journal, you write a song, you become creative in your way of expressing the discouragement that you feel. Every ex-boyfriend that she's ever had, there is now a song about him. When she gets discouraged, she makes him another million dollars off of it. It's, that might actually be the most productive way. Oh, you broke my heart. I'm going to get richer. Uh, I mean, she's the only person that like made a number one song about a critic who was mean to her after an award show and it went to number one. This is the creative response. I just need to go to in my feelings to figure it all out. Well, what is your way of handling discouragement? Does it lead to a healthy life when you're facing a hard time? How you respond to that? Does it actually make you healthier? Does it actually help you? Do you find that handling and processing the issues that you're facing in life right now, does it actually work? The fact is, is that there are healthy and unhealthy ways of responding to the discouragement that we face in this life. And the fact is, if you handle discouragement wrong, you can make things worse. You can put yourself in a situation that's more unhealthy. You can hurt yourself in the process of actually trying to encourage yourself. But today, there is good news. And today, what I'd like to offer to you is that Jesus, by the way of God's word, offers us a clear way for handling the discouragement that we face. That we don't have to do this alone. The Bible lays out a clear way of handling the difficult things that come our way. I have a graphic, and it's the upward inward and outward journey. And I'll be honest with you, we're only going to use the graphic a little bit today, but this does describe the way that the apostle Paul shows us that we can have healthy ways of dealing with discouragement. And so I've called today's talk, how to handle discouragement. I'm going to pray and invite God's presence. Will you join me in that? Let's pray together. God, we invite you to be with us today. We want you to speak and guide us and be in, our, in the way that I talk and in the way people listen. God, I know that people are here today and they are facing discouragement. God, there's a pain, there's an issue, there's something unexpected. And God, I ask that as I teach, you would come into this room right now. And God, I ask that you would begin to touch people, speak to people. God, that people would know your presence as I, as I go through this time. God, it would be a shame if you didn't show up. So we want to hear from you and experience you today. So I invite you to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be taking a look at something the Apostle wrote, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians who were facing discouragement. And we find this in Ephesians chapter 3. And I'm going to read the first verse to you. And then I'm going to explain a little bit, and I'm going to kind of read some verses and explain, and then read a few more verses and explain and kind of go through it. And the first verse is found in uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 14. It reads this. It says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Pause. For this reason. I need to explain this. Whenever you see something like for or therefore, we have to ask what it's there for. Why is Paul saying for this reason? Well, preceding this, we learn a bunch of things. First, we learn that Paul's in prison. Paul could have felt down on his luck 
anyone that's uh, locked up in prison uh, probably feels a little bit bad about themselves because they're not free. They're locked up in prison. That's not a good scene. Uh, No doubt the Ephesians who were reading this letter were probably very sad that their friend and the apostle, this person that they look up to who loves and is following Jesus, he's locked up in prison for his Christian beliefs. That's got to be disappointing. That's got to be said. That's got to be discouraging. And no doubt, because the Ephesians were human people, and they were also probably facing discouragement and issues and problems of their own. And Paul comes into this, he says, for this reason. What is that reason? Life. Life is happening. For this reason, from the very beginning, Paul is absolutely clear that we don't have to do this alone. That the Christian life, what it means to follow Jesus in our everyday life, isn't meant to be done by ourselves, wandering around in our cars all alone, just listening to some Christian worship music when we feel down. The Christian life was meant to be lived with others, that we are a part of a family, that we're adopted, and we can be a part of something, not just individuals floating around. We are a part of something bigger than ourselves. And so he says, For it is these reasons that he kneels before God to pray. Look what it says in verse 16. He says, I pray that out of the glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. This leads us to the upward journey. Overcoming discouragement starts by embracing the upward journey. How does Paul orient us in these verses? He says he prays. He prays boldly. He prays with confidence. And what I want you to see here is that Paul is saying something different than what we normally hear in our culture today. Well, what do I mean? In today's culture, it's often said that we have to look within ourselves to find our strength. We have to search inside ourselves to discover all that we have within us. And then as we uh, uncover the layers within our own souls, we will find the passion and the drive that we need to face the discouragement and that we're having and we can overcome it. This is what every self-help book tells us. This is what all of Oprah's people on Super Soul Sunday will tell you. And this is literally every soul cycle instructor I've ever had has told me to do. Look within yourself, Chris. Just pedal a little faster. The answers are within you. And in some ways, I do think that there are answers that are within us. But Paul is saying that when we face discouragement, it doesn't start in here. It starts up there. It starts by an orientation towards God. And when we face discouragement, we aren't forced to just be with ourselves and deal with whatever tools that we think that we've developed over the years. It doesn't, we don't just need to rely on ourselves only. We are invited to access the power of God to be strengthened. And Paul prays that the Holy Spirit would give the Ephesians strength. And in the same way, Paul's prayer is true today that God is here to give you strength. 
you power. And he believes that God is a good God and that he desires to give us strength and courage and boldness and power to face the things that we need to face now. So let me ask you a question. How does the Spirit of God actually strengthen us? Like, how does it actually work? Because we read this, and it's like, oh, you can get strengthened by God. What does that mean? What are we talking about? How does this actually work? Well, to understand how God strengthens us, we need to understand what strength is, what it is in the Bible. And in my experience, and in the experience of other Christian believers, there are a number of ways, multiple ways that God uses to strengthen us. Let me give you a few. First, physical strength. Physical strength. From time to time, God will literally give people supernatural physical stamina to do the work that God has called them to do. I imagine not feeling tired, imagine not feeling overwhelmed or physically drained the way we normally do because we have energy for the task at hand. This is something we've seen God do in our midst. This is something I've seen God do in my life. This is something that God does in general, has done in general over history. One of the ways that God strengthens us is by giving us physical strength that we did not have before. A second way that God strengthens people, is he delivers specific encouraging words to them. I've witnessed literally thousands and thousands of times when God has spoken to a person by the power of his spirit and brought specific words of encouragement, whether it was a specific scripture, whether it was a specific insight. And sometimes he speaks to the discouraged person directly, and other times he speaks through another person. He offers encouragement through another believer who is able to speak into the situation who had no idea about the exact details of the, the, or the particulars of a situation. And there's no way they could have known that because the information is too personal. And that other person ministers to the other person by giving them a special word of knowledge that they could have never had before. And from that moment, from that word of encouragement, the person receiving the encouragement is changed. They have the strength to carry on. I cannot tell you how many times I have prayed and I've said to God, God, I need your power. God, I need your strength. God, please give me eyes to see what you're doing in this particular situation. God, I don't know. I can't do this on my own. I feel like I'm pretty strong, but God, you have it figured out. I don't have all the answers. God, will you please help me? Will you please tell me, help me? And I'm telling you countless times, countless times, something will hit me like a lightning bolt, something that I hadn't planned for. Somebody will step into a situation and assist me in the exact problem that I was facing that I just didn't know that person was there. I'll have a new understanding. I'll have a new way of seeing or perceiving the issue that's at hand. I'll have a new way or perspective on dealing with the discouragement that I'm facing. And for those of you who question the validity of what I'm saying, to you, I would say, well, that's fair. I totally get that. I, I could totally get why you would question me. You might say, well, Chris, how, how do you know this was God? 
How do you know that it was God that hit you with that lightning bolt, gave you that new information? How do you know it was God who was giving you that insight? How do you know it wasn't some cognitive release that just so happened to be timed with your prayer that allows you to see the situation differently? How do we know this isn't a coincidence and that just happens to line up with the timing of your prayer? And you know, I think that's a really fair question. Maybe it wasn't God speaking to me. Maybe, uh, I've mentioned this before, maybe it was the Taco Bell I ate earlier in the day. It's really coming in and really helping me deal with the argument that I'm having with my spouse. Thank you, Taco Bell. Thank you for your help. Maybe it was the three Doritos Locos tacos that I ate. It's really giving me a better insight into how to help someone who's navigating a loss in their life. Maybe it was the food. Maybe it's just timed out. Maybe it's just how I feel that day. Maybe it's a cognitive release. But here's what I believe. When I pray, I see way more coincidences. When I don't pray, I see less. When I pray, I see a lot more things happen. When I don't pray, I see less things happen. The fact is, is when I look into my past, I cannot prove to you that God did something. What I can do is I can show you from my experience that time after time, my life has way too many coincidences. What is your life like? Does your life have too many coincidences? Are there too many things in your life you're saying, hmm, that's interesting. That seems to line up. And so while I might not be able to prove to you, and while you, with your friends, you may not be able to say, this is totally God. I don't know. When we pray, we see coincidences. When we don't pray, we see less coincidences. To me, that seems like God's doing something. There's too many things in my life where I have been strengthened and filled and empowered, and things have literally changed as a result of prayer or as a result of God coming and doing something instead of me. There's a third way that I see that... uh, God uh, strengthens us. And I call this divine arrangement. Another way that God strengthens us is divine arrangement. When I pray, and when some of us pray, strange things happen. All of a sudden, I'll get a phone call. And somebody will be willing to help me in the area that I needed or someone will be able to help me in the discouraging situation. Or all of a sudden, uh, the entire set of circumstances that I thought were insurmountable will completely change. And what I've learned and what empowered Christians already know is that we serve a big God. That God is very big. He's very powerful. And there are forces at work doing things for our good that you and I cannot totally see. There is divine arrangement happening. Do you believe that? Do you believe that like the Apostle Paul, there is a God here who is not just some sort of abstract strengthening you? Do you believe that there is a God who wants to strengthen you with things that you actually need? Now, I want you to notice That Paul the Apostle is praying specifically to the Ephesians that they would be strengthened by a specific person. That the Ephesians would be strengthened through the Spirit. Who is this Spirit? This is what we call in the Christian church the Holy Spirit. Jesus' followers call him the Holy Spirit. He's a part of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And friends, it is the Holy Spirit 
who is speaking to us and guiding us and directing us. And Paul's prayer lines up with God's desire that you would know, that you would know, that you would know, that you would know in your knower. You know what I mean? Like everyone has like, everyone knows things, but you would know in your knower, in the bottom of your soul, that he is with you, that he is guiding you, that he is for you, and that he loves you. Amen? There is a knower in your knower even that is there for you to know the love of God. And look what it says in Ephesians 3.17, if we read on with, if you'd read on with me. So, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul's prayer is that by the power of God, something would happen, not just upward, but something would happen inside of us, inside of us, that we would experience God's love. Let me ask you a personal question. Have you ever experienced the love of God? Maybe in worship, maybe in prayer, maybe you like to hike on these mountains and you just have these encounters with God where you experience the love and the power of God. Well, here's what we see. God just doesn't want us to think our way to his love. God wants us to experience his love in the deepest parts of our soul. How do I know? Look at this strange sentence again in verse 19. Look at it. It says, Paul writes, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I mean, it seems like a nod, uh, an odd saying. Don't, like, read that sentence again, that we would know this love that surpasses knowledge. It seems like odd to say that we would know knowledge. I want you to know knowledge. Well, no, duh, we're supposed to know knowledge. No kidding, we're supposed to know things with the knowledge. No, 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 no knowledge. Or... Or Paul's trying to say something else. Paul might be trying to get at something different. Here's what I think he's getting at. In the Greek world, where Paul wrote this down to a generally Greek-speaking audience, the Greeks had a very robust way of understanding knowledge. And in the Greek, there's actually two ways to think about knowledge. There's knowledge that you know with your head, and there's knowledge that you know based on personal experience. One's with your mind, one's from experiences in your life. So, for example, say you go to Six Flags. You go to Six Flags and you want to ride a roller coaster. It's one thing to know that the roller coaster ride is going to work. It's another thing to experience the ride and know that it works. It's one thing to know that the chair in your living room is going to work if you sit in it and you're not going to fall and feel sad about yourself. It's another thing to sit in the chair and experience that the chair works and know for the next time that the chair works. It's one thing to know 
that God loves you. It's another thing to, well, it's another, it's one, let me start again. Let me start again. I love this. Okay. It's one thing to know that God loves you. It's one thing to know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. So you get to go to heaven when you die. It's a completely different thing to experience the love of Jesus. Friend, knowing your Bible from front to back has its limits. Living vicariously through the most spiritual person you know has its limits. But there is an experience of love that is real and it's available to you. But there, uh, and that you would know, that you know, that you know that everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay, baby. Even when you're facing the toughest days in your marriage, there is a God who loves you and who is fighting with you. And even though you are single and the last relationship on the books didn't quite work out, there is a God who offers you an experience of his love that surpasses anything, any type of love that you could want romantically from somebody else. That's a good message for somebody today because Valentine's Day is right around the corner. Uh, Even though you can't understand why the terrible thing happened to you or happened to a friend, there is a God who can bring encouragement that you know, that you know, that you know, that is unique and in a special way that is delivered to you. From this experience of real, powerful love, what happens? From this experience of love, you're able to stand up. You're able to look life in the face. You're able to say, nope, not today. I am loved by God. He loves me. And there's nothing in this world that can separate it. There's no height. There's no depth. There's no width. There's no length that can separate me from your love, God. I look to you. I look to you, God. Now, let me share with you why what I just said is such a shame. Such a shame. Many Christians today only live with a head knowledge about God's love. Many Christians today have not experienced the love of God. And if this is you, I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I have a question for you. If you have not experienced, if you are only, it's just only in your mind, I would say to you, how do you do it? How do you, I don't even know how you do it. You follow God. You try not to break any of the rules. You're like, oh, I'm not going to sin. I'm going to try to do all the nice things. I mean, you call your mom, even when your mom consistently nags you on the phone about that thing. When are you going to meet somebody? Shut up, mom. You let people in on the 405, even during traffic. And you're like, go ahead, go ahead. And you're not like angry under your breath. You're like, I'm such a good person. You read your Bible on a regular basis. And you even give to the poor now and again. I mean, how do you do it? It's like all the rules, but you have none of the experience. And that's not what God intended for you. God did not intend for you to have just all the rules and none of the relationship with him. You are invited today, even right now. Like, I don't even have to finish the talk right now. Like, I could just like, like that God would just talk to you. You would begin to experience his love right now. You would know when you're knowing that it's not like just Chris using some fancy words, but that God would do something in you right now. This is the central benefit of being a Jesus follower. Guys, girls, the central benefit is not keeping the rules. The central benefit is you know that God's with you. What are we doing here on a Sunday morning if God's not with us? 
that we don't know that we know that we know. Here's the deal. All you got to do for this is ask and receive. You ask for it. God, can I please experience you? And you receive it. And some of that will happen today. Some will happen this week, but it will happen. You will experience the love and the power of God in your life. This is the central benefit that we actually can feel and know that God is with us through this life. I want you to imagine, I'm going to have a couple illustrations about this, about why you, why you shouldn't be on the fence. And I think I've used this illustration before. So if I have, like, don't remind me. Okay, so like, say you have Disneyland tickets. Okay, and you've got the little plastic laminated card, and you've got the one that has Donald Duck, and your friend got Minnie Mouse, and you're a girl, and you want to switch because you love Minnie Mouse. And you've got a little card, and you look over on the back, and it's got the little barcode, and it's so interesting. And you're like, oh, wow, it's a one-day park hopper, so we get to go to both Disneyland, and we get to go to California Adventure. This is, this is such a great thing. I can go to those parks. I can go to Disneyland. I can go ride the teacup ride. I can go down Magic Mountain. I can go get in line for the Buzz Lightyear ride. It's so good. You can, we'll see who has the highest score. We can do all those things. And then when we're done, we can go over to the California Adventure and we can ride Soren and we can do all the fun things. In fact, why don't we go to look at this? Why don't we go to the website? We'll go, uh, let's go on my laptop. We'll put it on the projection screen. So we'll look at all the things we can go. We can look at all the cool things we can do. Okay, cool. We're done with that. Let's close the laptop. Let's put those cards away and let's never go to Disneyland. What a waste. What a waste to have the tickets without all the benefits. Why? Hold on to a $130 ticket and not use it. Go to Disneyland. Go to Disneyland. Go experience it. It's one thing to know that the teacup ride exists. It's another one time to get on there and sit in line and have it spin and enjoy it. It's one thing to like and understand that there are beautiful fireworks that happen every night at 9 p.m., weather permitting. It's another thing to go experience those fireworks and be part of the excitement and realize you're a part of something magical. It's one thing to know that the electric light parade has been updated and you have this new one that's called Paint the Night and it's so amazing. It's another thing to watch Paint the Night and be like, wow, I can't believe somebody put this together. If you have the Disneyland tickets, take advantage of the benefit. If you are a follower of Jesus, don't stand outside the park, but you have the ticket, go inside. Amen? You know, it's almost like this. So I have a $20 bill here. See this? See, it's a real 20. It has uh, one of those presidents. <laughs> and so, like, say I had this. It's almost like, hey, I've got a $20 bill here. Uh, why don't you, uh, if you want this $20 bill, why don't you come up and take it? All you have to do is take it. Because if you stay in your seat, you're not going to get the $20 bill. But if I keep talking and you take, there you go, that $20 bill's yours. <laughs> go to the park, take the 20 Cindy? That's all yours. I just, you know, I don't want to do a lesson about tithing, but, you know, $2 should go back into the pie. <laughs> So finally... After the upward and the inward journey, there is the outward journey. Look at what Ephesians 3.20 says. This is just like that cherry on the top. little whipped cream, little cherry. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. When we align upward toward God and begin to experience his love, when we begin to see God working in us inwardly, this changes us. We're different. 
We're no longer discouraged. We're no longer held back by what we see right now. We have hope for our future. That even though we have circumstances that haven't changed today, we don't have to be discouraged today. Even though we're facing a hard time right now, that doesn't mean that God won't heal our issue tomorrow. Because we know that we know that we know, just like Paul says, we serve a God who can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. There's no broken relationship that God can't fix. There's no broken marriage that God can't heal. There's no amount of confusion about our future that God can't clarify. And there's no amount of broken heart that God can't heal. Upward, inward, outward. This is your tool for dealing with discouragement. Upward towards God, allowing him to do an inward work. And then that pushes you outward to have a different perspective on life. So earlier in my talk, I mentioned uh, briefly about adoption, that God has adopted us into his family. And uh, I'd like to share a story with you about Corey and Cindy Garris. Uh, some of you may know who these people are. And, uh, and uh, it's really... It's really sweet. So they were here this last weekend, and Corey and Cynthia, they actually helped us plant this church. They live in Denver. They run this, help run this large church. And uh, they, they looked at, at Nicole and me when we were just sitting there with Patrick, and we were like, and they were like, you can do this. And they believed in us. So anyway, they happened that every year they come out and they take a trip and they hang out with us for a weekend, and we take them around town, and we're like, oh, Yeah. This is what it's like all the time if you lived in Los Angeles. And like we're literally, all these palm trees are in the sky and like we're driving. I'm going to pick up Marion. I don't know why Corey wanted to go with me to pick up my daughter at school, but she did. So I was like, okay, whatever. So we're driving. He's like, oh, these palm trees, dude, it's so intoxicating. And I slam on my brakes. I'm like, look over to your right. And he looks over to his right and then like walking down the street was Owen Wilson. And he's like, this is amazing. I'm like, yeah, it's like this every day. Just movie stars and palm trees everywhere you go. There's no issues with this life. You should move here. You can intern under me. <laughs> uh, he, like, basically runs the church. So would, that's a funny joke for me. I hope he listens to this on our podcast. It's posted every week. Anyway, he, he and Cynthia were at dinner. We're in downtown. We're having this nice dinner. And they're sharing with us that uh, they've been taking trips to Haiti. And they're going to adopt a 10-year-old girl named Linda. And it's amazing. And watching these two people who have two children of their own say, look, how about we just sign up to raise a third kid? There's a kid in this city, in this country. It's terrible. She has nothing. She's in this orphanage. And we have the chance to bring her out of that and give her a completely new experience of life. So they've been working with it. It's a three-year process to make sure there's nothing bad happening on the side. Um, they're double-checking with family members and doing all the right precautions in order to do this. And I just thought, man, that is such a picture of what God does with us, isn't it? Because, like, Linda, Linda lost her parents, Linda doesn't have anybody. Linda's completely alone in a bunch of bunk beds in a terrible, terrible, like, socioeconomically destroyed 
part of the world. She has barely any clothes on her back, and she actually doesn't know if anybody loves her. And she has word that there's these people, Corey and Cynthia, they're going to adopt her. And she's excited, and it's cool. I got to think, like, you know, it's one thing for her to know that she's going to be adopted. It's going to be another thing when she gets on that plane and she crosses over the Gulf of Mexico and lands in Denver and her new parents welcome her home. They say, welcome home. We love you. Experience the love that we have for you. All the highs and the lows and all the things that could happen in this life, it doesn't matter. There's nothing that you could do, no height nor depth, no amount of your background, no amount of the fact that you don't know any English, nothing. Your poverty means nothing to us. The fact that you lost your parents and you have no tribe, that you're not a descendant of some strong order, doesn't matter. All those things do not matter. All that matters is, Linda, welcome home. We love you. That experience of love is a real thing that she is going to experience in the next couple years. Isn't that amazing? How much more does our Heavenly Father want us to come to Him and experience His love right now? There's so much that we leave on the table, so much that God wants to do, so much that God wants to say that's to speak into our discouragement today. All we need to do is welcome him in. Welcome it in. Will you all stand with me, please?